0: Good to be with you. Uh, always a joy to get up here. I, as part of the uh, Transformation Network, uh, I get to travel around, check on the churches, see what's going on, which is always a pleasure to see how God is uh, working out his purposes and so many different expressions in our network. But don't tell anybody this is one of my favorite places to come. So <laughs> keep it quiet, really. Shane, I didn't say that. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, the other thing is, Steve, your master's degree is already paying off. I mean, your announcements were much more educated than Timothy's. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, sign him up. Sign him up. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. <laughs> um, and hey, that, that last announcement uh, is a great segue into what I want to share today, because I think it's very important for what's going on here at Vintage. Uh, God's doing a deep thing, and I want to encourage you with what's happening. And to do that, uh, we're going to look at uh, a very familiar chapter in the scriptures, but the problem is it's so familiar we miss what it's saying. And that's First Corinthians chapter 13. So if you'll actually back up a little bit and uh, turn, we're we're not going to read the whole chapter, you're familiar with it, you hear it every time you go to a wedding, which uh, we'll talk about in a minute. But um, uh, I'm just going to read several verses from it, so you can either read from the screen or just look in your your Bible, you may want to keep the chapter open, we'll be referring to it. Starting in uh, chapter 12. Uh, We pick up at the last verse of uh, 12. But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Then if you'll drop down to verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And then down to verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Lord, we're grateful for uh, your word and what it teaches us about life in you. And I bless this community of faith. I pray, Lord, you continue to impart into them uh, greater measures of your spirit's work. Uh, We love you today. We open our hearts to you. We welcome what you have for us, uh, even through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this chapter, uh, when we think of 1 Corinthians 13, we think of weddings. But uh, really, this chapter is not about weddings. It wasn't written for weddings. It's written dealing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with this section of Corinthians, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about the diversity of gifts spread in the body. And he basically kind of gives a hierarchy of gifts that would be used publicly in the body. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, he deals with a specific problem that's going on in Corinthians in the public use of tongues and tries to bring some protocol to that issue. So in the middle is this bridge chapter and probably the most significant chapter uh, that Paul has to give us in dealing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, here's what he's trying to get at. I remember some years ago, uh, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this. He said the problem with the gifts, the reason people reject the gifts is not because of the gifts, but because of the way they've been wrapped. And unfortunately, in the church, the gifts have been wrapped in a way that have caused people to kind of push back on on that particular expression of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here, Paul is uh, putting before us. Maybe uh, the most significant way, as a matter of fact, that's what he says, it's the most significant and effective way that you can use the gifts. Uh, when he says, I want to show you a more excellent way, what he's saying is, I'm going to show you a way that nothing else compares to in terms of using the gifts and using them for their most, in the most effective way that you can use them. So he's kind of setting this up. To tell the Corinthians, look, if you're going to use the gifts, use them the way that'll get the biggest bang for the (laughs) buck. Use them the way they're intended to use. And so in this process, basically what he's saying is this. The best way to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to join them to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, he he doesn't use the word fruit in this chapter. He uses the word love. But if you go to Galatians, in that particular book, uh, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he shows the different dynamics of love, how it's expressed out through our life. And so what Paul is saying here when he uses the word love is really the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to use that word because whenever we hear the word love in this chapter, we immediately go to weddings. (laughs) Uh, What I want to get you to understand is this is in the paradigm of gifts. And so he's saying... To to use gifts in the most effective way, in a way that's incomparable to any other way that you can possibly see them being used, they must be joined to the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Now, when he says fruit, and another reason I want to use fruit is because when we say love, a lot of times we think of human love. I don't believe Paul here is talking about human love. I I believe what he's talking about is something just as supernatural as the gifts. He's talking about new creation behavior. Paul is saying we have the ability as believers in Jesus to not only draw upon the spirit for his gifts, for the ministry of Jesus to be reproduced in our life as the body, but we have... The ability to draw upon the spirit for the character and nature and behavior of Jesus to be reproduced in our life. That's why I'm saying that last announcement segues into this. Paul is saying it's very important that we not only draw upon the spirit for the gifts, but we draw upon the spirit for a kind of behavior that's. It's not ours in terms of our old life, but it is ours in terms of our life in Jesus Christ. We're drawing upon his character. We're drawing upon his nature. So if that's the case, why is Paul saying that this is the most excellent way of using the gifts? This is the way that's beyond any comparison in terms of our use of the gifts. Uh, let me kind of. I want to kind of walk you through three three ways that it's that it, that this makes it the superior way of ministering uh, Jesus' power into the world. Number one, the gifts are only completed by the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts are completed by the fruit of the Spirit. For example, why why do we why do we use the gifts? Well, if you look at Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus used the gifts. Jesus ministered out of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in a sense when uh, he, he was fully God. Uh, uh, true, he was God and man. He was the, the God man. But when he came into the flesh, when the son of God came into the flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, he surrendered his divine attributes to fully enter into the human experience. And so when Jesus ministered, he ministered out of the power of the Holy Spirit on him. And the reason he ministered, obviously, was for compassion. When there was a need, when somebody was hurt or sick or lost, he ministered in the power of the Spirit to bring about transformation in their life. But there was also a, a, a greater reason that Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit, in signs and wonders. That's what they're called, signs and wonders. As a matter of fact, John uses that word, signs. They are signs to point us to Jesus, so Jesus was using this to capture people's attention. Also, he was he obviously using it out of compassion, but he was using it to capture people's attentions, to look at him as to who he is and to be fascinated with who Jesus is, with his majesty, with his character, with who he is. In John's gospel, when the disciples, uh, you remember Jesus gives this sermon. Uh, Jeff Whitmire calls it his cannibalism sermon. <laughs> Where he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody scatters, you know. And so uh, Jesus says, well, what about you guys to the disciples? And the disciples said, you know, he, because basically Jesus is resisting doing another miracle here. Remember, he just fed the 5,000. The people have come to him. They want to see it again. He says, no, I'm not going to do it again. You need to enter into who I am. They leave. He turns to the disciples says, what about you guys? And they say, where else can we go? So you see... They were hooked on the person of Jesus, not his miracles. The miracles are the lure to get you to hook in to the fascinating person of Jesus Christ. Now, if that was true of Jesus and the gifts, it's also true for us. We minister in the gifts so that people get hooked into who we are. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. I don't want people to be hooked into it, who I am. No, listen, so that people get hooked into who you are in Christ Jesus. You see, the purpose of the gifts is so that people are turned and begin to see the nature and presence of Jesus exhibited in our life. And they're captured by that. The gifts are completed by the fruit. If you're going for the gifts and you're not going for the fruit then your working in the gifts are incomplete. It doesn't matter how great they are. As a matter of fact, that's Paul's point. If you look at what Paul says, he says, suppose, suppose you could speak in tongues and you were so good at this. I mean, the Spirit of God was on you in such a powerful way. You could speak in the language of men. In other words, God would download a language into you. You did not learn and suddenly you're speaking in it. As Steve was telling me of an incident he had in tongues where God actually downloaded a language he didn't know. He spoke in it, and the person listening understood it. That's sometimes the miracle of tongues, and it happens that way. But so Paul says, suppose you get that kind of download in tongues. Or, he says, suppose you, get, suppose you start speaking in the language of angels. I mean, you're actually speaking in the language of what the angels speak because of this gift. I mean, you're really good in tongues. But he says, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, it's nothing but a clanging cymbal. It's just just a lot of noise. He says, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you're nothing but an obnoxious tongue speaker. (laughs) Because you're not exhibiting the character of Jesus. He says, suppose this. Suppose... Suppose you have the gifts of revelation, you have the gift of wisdom, you have the gift of knowledge, you're getting downloads of revelation that are way beyond your capacity to know, beyond what your mind can come up with. This is God giving you stuff in you that, you know, I didn't come up with this. This is God speaking. And he says, suppose you have the gift of faith and it's so strong and so powerful that it even goes beyond what Tammy has. (laughs) I mean, you're moving mountains, things are happening God is moving. He says, if you do not have the fruit of the Spirit, you're nothing. Now, he's not saying you're worthless. He's saying you're nothing. If if Jesus is not being exhibited in your life, you're nothing more than the other people out there who don't know Jesus. You may be moving in power, but you're not giving the people something that says, What is that in your life that is so stunning? (laughs) What is this I see in you, not only because of what you're ministering, but because of who you are? What is this character, this behavior in you that's beyond anything I know in terms of human life? You see, Paul says it's got to be joined. The fruit has to be joined to the gifts. Or he says, suppose this, suppose you have the gift of giving. I don't know a lot of people are going after the gift of giving. But he says, suppose you have the gift of giving and you give away all you have. I mean, you're really into this. See, everything you have, you give it away. Suppose you even have the gift of martyrdom and you give your body to be burned. He says, even in that situation, if you do not have the fruit, you gain nothing. He's not talking about our eternal life. He's talking about we gain nothing for the kingdom. Even with that kind of stunning sacrifice, if we're not exhibiting in some way the behavior and the nature of Jesus Christ, we gain nothing for the kingdom. We don't gain the people's attention toward Jesus. So Paul says, the gifts find their fullness and completion in the fruit. And that means for us as believers, as we are ministering the gifts of Jesus, whether it's in foster care or whatever, we're also crying out to Jesus, would you exhibit your nature through me? Things that I would never come up with, Jesus. I'm asking for these incredible displays of your character to be exhibited in my life. Because in that way, I'm not only bringing into a person's life the power of Jesus' ministry, I'm bringing into their life the stunning beauty of Jesus' character. So I'm giving my life to, to both of these realities. I, 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 I refuse. I, I think if, if we could get a church that says, I refuse to continue to divide these two realities. We can, li- we can move into a revival that would shake the earth. If we're saying, Lord, I refuse to divide the gifts and the fruit. I refuse. When I'm going for a gift, I'm also crying out to you for some way to express your nature as I deliver that gift. So Paul says, gifts are completed by fruit. Here's the other thing he says. The gifts, in a sense, are dangerous without the fruit. Why is that? Gifts are powerful. They're powerful displays of the power of the coming age being brought into our life. The power to heal. The power to, to receive information that's beyond our mind's capacity to think. The power to speak in language That is beyond our ability to understand, but a language that has effect, a language in our prayer that can transform things. The gifts bring a power into our life, a stunning power that captures people's attention. It's like you're turning on this bright light and it attracts people. It, it, people want to come, and the, obviously the reason it's attracting them is so that the light can be turned onto the character of Jesus within us, the nature of Jesus within us, and they can be they can be captured by who He is. But here's the problem, and this is the problem that's happening in the church over and over again. We use these powerful gifts. And then we turn them on our selfish nature. And that turns people off. It frustrates people. It, it disappoints people. So we begin to use the gifts for self-enrichment, for self-promotion, for control. We've seen this happen. Some of you have come out of devastating situations in churches where you lived through that and you said, enough of this. I don't want the gifts anymore. If this is what it's about, I don't want them. You see, they're powerful. The problem is, in their power, they can be powerfully abused for selfish purposes. I mean, we even have created a theology to enrich yourself tied to the gifts. What is that all about? (laughs) That's not the nature of the Lord. It's not his character. It's not his behavior that's being shown in our life. And yet that's where the church has gone with it. And so Paul is saying here, look, these things are dangerous. And the only safe way to use them is with the fruit. Uh, Let me say it as clear as I can. The safest place for the ministry of Jesus is in the character of Jesus. It's the safest place. If you take it out of the character of Jesus, it's going to get bad. People are going to get disappointed and hurt and uh, frustrated with what's going on in life. Let, let me kind of put it in these terms. I, I want to go back to this passage. Listen to this. If you read it this way, this is starting in verse 4. The gifts, of the, excuse me, The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit with patience. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit with kindness. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit without envy. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit without boasting. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit without becoming proud. Whoa. (laughs) The, the, The fruit of the Spirit... Helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit without becoming rude or self-seeking. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit without becoming easily angered. That's a work of grace, isn't it? That's the work of Jesus' character within us. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to minister the gifts of the Spirit without keeping any kind of record of wrong. The the fruit helps us to minister the gifts without delighting in evil. The fruit helps us to minister the gifts rejoicing with the truth. Helps us to minister protecting others, trusting others, always hoping for others and persevering with others. One of the great tragedies of the church uh, in America happened uh, at the turn of the century into the 1900s, and here's what happened. In the middle 1800s, all the way back to the late 1700s, there was a great move of God going on. It was called the Holiness Revival. It came out of the Wesleyan and Wesley and Whitfield's revival in England, and then it jumped to the United States and Cane uh, Ridge exploded it in a bigger way in the early 1800s. And throughout the 1800s, there was this massive wave of revival going on in the United States that really kind of uh, uh, people were going after the Holy Spirit for the fruit of the spirit for holiness. They wanted to see the nature of Jesus in our life. Wesley said in that movement, he said that the highest expression of the fruit of the Spirit is perfect love. And it's perfect because it's God's love. It's God's love being manifest out of our life by the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is possible. It's possible for our very behavior to be changed by the power of God as we draw upon the Spirit for these fruits. And so this this movement was moving in power. But many of the holiness people realized that it was not being conveyed into the culture like it should be. And so there became this crying out to God for greater power, a power in terms of the gifts to release what was God was doing in their life to see it released in the country. Matter of fact, uh, Francis Asbury uh, his, his. his vision for America was to spread scriptural holiness through the land. He understood that that if, if we could get this into the country, it could radically alter who we are as a people. But they wanted to find a, a, a stronger way to to minister that, to spread it into the world. And so by the end of the 1800s, a, a lot of holiness people were praying for another outpouring of the Spirit. And many of these holiness people were the the... The beginning, they were the people that were in the very beginning of the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival was really really the answer to prayer, the prayers of holiness people. And so God, in this incredible revival at Azusa Street in the early 1900s, exploded the gifts into the church. I mean, powerful moves of the Spirit, releasing the gifts immediately. I was reading one account of where somebody left Azusa Street Uh, Three months after the revival broke, went to India to minister. And immediately God began to release the gifts into people that never seen anything like it. People that never knew anything about the gifts. Suddenly they were being released into people. Healing and tongues and miracles and visions. Things were going on everywhere. But unfortunately, in that movement, uh, there came a great divorce between the two revivals. One problem was the holiness folks pulled back because of some of the interpretations about tongues and things like that. And they said, we're not a part of this movement of power. And the Pentecostal people kind of went on with power and kind of forgot what they came out of a lot of times. And that was the whole issue of holiness. And so the two movements divided. So one, you ended up with holiness people that were going after holiness but a lot of times they would end up either in legalism or some ghetto of holiness that was not touching the world, or you had the Pentecostals who are just exploding all over the world. But one of the fastest growing people movements in the world is the Pentecostal Charismatic Movement. If you want to, most, most statistics of the church show that it's keeping, it, it's, not, it's not growing any faster than the world population. Except for one segment of the church, and that's Pentecostal charismatics segment. It's growing 6 to 8% faster than the world population. It's growing faster than Islam. It's moving in power. Why? Because of these gifts, how it attracts people in. But the problem is, the gifts without the fruit many times create frustration and difficulty and disappointment and have caused devastation in some people's lives because they feel like they've been abused or, or they haven't seen the, the nature of Jesus being exhibited as the gifts are being used. A lot of times the gifts are used for personal purposes or for ministry purposes or institutional purposes. I believe God is saying again, and, and this is what I, I want to say to you as, as a church because God is doing such a, a great work here. That he's saying, I want a people in the earth who will say the divorce is over. We're bringing these two back. And we will not relent until we see an expression of Jesus in the earth where his power is wedded to his character. And that that we will steward his gifts for his glory, not for our fame. But for His glory, I want to encourage you, Vintage. I feel like God has you in a place because you're—I see—just in some of the things I heard today, you're you're going after a level of Jesus behavior in your life that you can't come up with. <laughs> Can you, Randall? <laughs> after after giving yourself to people, strangers, and suddenly. Finding that you're connected into their life. That's only the nature of Jesus can do that. That's Jesus manifesting in us. Then you combine that with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you. It could stun this area. To see that level. Of life in a church. So. Understand the gifts are dangerous without the fruit. They were intended to go together. And, to, and the problem is that we as American believers, we haven't seen that. And so we assume, well, you've got to choose one or the other. No, you don't. You choose both. As you're going after the gifts, go after the fruit. When you, if you have the gift of tongues, and if you don't, that's okay. Relax. Let's get over that. <laughs> but if you have the gift of tongues... If you're praying in tongues, you need to say, God, I'm believing. One of the things I'm praying is that you're going to produce in my life a greater level of Jesus' character. If you're ministering healing, say, God, I want want you to, as I pray for this person, would you show me how to deliver this, this prayer, deliver this ministry that reflects who you are? Would you give me a display of your character even as I'm ministering to this person? You see, it's an intentionality in both ways. You're not only intentionally going after the gift, you're intentionally going after the fruit. And you're saying, Lord, show me something of yourself in this. Exhibit yourself for your glory. Exhibit yourself as I'm ministering to these people that your character is seen in this. So uh, let's bring those two back together now. Here's the final thing. Excuse me. The gifts are inadequate without the fruit. They're not only incomplete, but they're inadequate. Now, this has to do with this last section of 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the things Paul is saying is, look, you need to understand what the gifts are. The gifts are kind of a... um, a temporary solution to a problem that we believers have. Can I say that again? The gifts are a temporary solution to a problem we believers have. What is the problem? Well, Paul says, in reality, we believers right now in this present age, we are children. Uh, Really, the word is toddlers. So here's what he's saying. Right now, as a believer in Jesus Christ... You are a new creation toddler. What does he mean by that? As being a toddler. He means this. <clears throat> you have new creation life within you. But because you don't have your resurrected body. You still have an old creation mind. And you still have an old creation body. In other words, you have, you have something in you. That's beyond your capacity to handle You have new creation life in Christ Jesus. But you can't think new creation thoughts. You can't do new creation works because you're in an old creation body. You can't speak new creation languages because you have old creation mindset. And so God, in his wonderful grace, has given us these gifts that allow us to think and to speak and to minister above our pay grade, <laughs> above our toddler state. Now, Paul says the problem is that we have these gifts, but they're only in part. That's the word he uses. They're in part. He means by that they're not there all the time. They only show up periodically. They kind of break through. If they were there all the time, we would be resurrected and in the new creation, but God is God is giving us, as he says, and he as the Hebrew writer says, God is giving us a taste of the power of the coming age in this age through the gifts. It's kind of like a, a brief download of power. It's a brief download of thinking the way we will think in the coming age. It's a brief download of speaking the way we will speak in the coming age. It's a brief download of ministering in the way we will minister in the coming age. But it's in part, he says, when we are resurrected, we won't need these gifts because we will have new bodies, new minds, new capacities. So the gifts are simply a temporary uh, solution to a problem we have living between two ages. (laughs) We have new creation life within us, but we still have these bodies of this age, these minds of this age, this Ability to think of this age. But God gives us these gifts that allow us to experience and taste and think with a, with a piece of the coming age thinking and ministry. Here's the way I see it. About 100,000 years into the age to come, we're going to be sitting around and uh, Steve's going to say to me, hey, Mark. Do you remember those funny little things that we had when we were down in the, in the former age? <laughs> you know, where we had those little outbreaks of what we're experiencing now. I, I, I said, yeah, you mean the gifts. You say, yeah, the gifts. That's it. The gifts. You remember those things? Man, those were great. <laughs> and how they helped us to taste and experience the power of the coming age, of this age that we're now enjoying right now. You see, it's God's mercy to allow us to enter into that. But they're in part. They're inadequate. They're not meant forever because what's meant forever is resurrection life. When we will be transformed completely and live in that world all the time. So, how does that affect the way we live and minister? Simply this way. If I'm going to pray for somebody's healing, I can either get all frustrated by saying, "Okay, healing doesn't always break in. Will this be a place where it breaks in or not? I don't know. You know, you know, and you can get kind of all messed up because, you know, it's in part. We can't experience it all the time. We only experience it in part. Or if you're praying or if you're speaking a prophetic word, you're wondering, well, am I accurate in this or not? I don't know if I've got it right or whatever, you know, because, you know, it's in part. You can't understand completely the things God's given. You only get a slice of it. It's like a flash of lightning. So we could get so frustrated. We just say, I'm not going to do the gifts because not everybody's going to get healed. And my prophecy is not going to be accurate all the time. I'm not sure when I'm speaking in tongues, you know. I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, it's just so mysterious. I, I'm not, I'm not going to give myself to this. But here's what I would say to you: Go after the gifts. Paul says, eagerly desire them, and realize that although it's in part, the church has yet to experience the level of in part that we can know. <laughs> I mean, if you want to see what we can know, read Acts I, or, or read Jesus' ministry. Uh, there are times in Jesus' ministry where everybody who comes to Him gets healed. I was telling our church the other day at Riverstone, say, "I want to see a night at the night of healing prayer where everybody comes gets healed." And so we can live for greater expectation, not for frustration, but expectation, believing that there are levels of what is av- levels of things available to us. That we have not yet experienced. Do not limit what God can do in your life by what you've seen in the past. (laughs) Keep pressing in for the more. Press in for revival. That's the greatest display of his power in the earth. Press in for the next wave of his spirit to come in power. Understand there's always more. But also understand this. That one of the ways we overcome the inadequacies of the gifts Is with the adequacy of the fruit. Let me illustrate this. We got an email from a person who came to Riverstone's night of healing prayer. And this person came to the night to be prayed for a particular sickness and they weren't healed. But he said in his email, the love that I felt there was so overpowering, I want to come back. He's not talking about the gifts, he's talking about the fruit. So he comes back. And he keeps coming back until he's finally fully healed. <laughs> See, what the gifts couldn't do, the fruit did eventually buy the gifts. And my word to you is, if this place becomes a stunning display of the character of Jesus, people will start coming. And then as you minister the gifts... Some will be healed, some won't. Maybe you'll reach a level where everybody in a local setting gets healed or you reach a level where you start seeing miracles and people uh, receive sight and start, the lame start walking as we read in the Scriptures. That level of power is breaking in. But whether it does or not or whether, how consistent it is won't matter because the atmosphere is filled with the nature of Jesus and that will keep people plugged in. Because this culture is dying for that. It's dying for a display of the Lord's character. So, when you minister, minister with the gifts and with the fruit. Because the fruit makes the gifts adequate, even if they don't happen. (laughs) Even if the gifts don't happen. It still makes them adequate. It still makes people relax and receive because they're not, they're not feeling guilty. They don't feel like it's a, a lack of their faith because something didn't happen. They just say, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I love what's going on here, and I'm going to keep coming back. And if it's an atmosphere where you're going after both of these realities, then eventually they're going to be touched. So listen to this, and we'll close with it. The fruit of the spirit never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues in the age to come, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, the gift of knowledge, it will pass away in the age to come. For we know in part, the gift of knowledge is in part. And we prophesy, the gift of prophecy is in part. It's just a, it's just a breakthrough. But when perfection comes, when resurrection comes, the imperfect will disappear. The in part will disappear. When I was a toddler, I talked like a toddler. I thought like a toddler. I reasoned like a toddler. When I was resurrected and became a new creation man in my new creation body, I put the toddler things away behind me. I left them in the past age. Now we see, now in this age we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then in the coming age, we shall see face to face in our resurrected bodies, looking at a resurrected Savior, face to face. Now I know in part. Then in the coming age, I shall know fully, even as I am now fully known by Jesus And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. They remain into the coming age. But the greatest of these is love. And what Paul is saying there is, you won't take the gifts into the coming age because you won't need them. But you will take the fruit. And the beauty of the fruit is, it doesn't come in part. You can get as much of it as you want. (laughs) Now, (laughs) as you open yourself to the fruit of the Spirit, to the work of the Spirit in this area. Amen, amen. Good. Well, we're going to have a time of uh, of response. If you'd like to come for prayer, I'm glad to.